The following sermon is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. For more audio and information, please visit HolyCrossTucson.com. Galatians chapter 2, starting in verse 16. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. I have a question to start us off this morning as we reflect on this passage. And here's the question. Would you like to live with an ever-growing love, joy, and purposefulness in life? Knowing that everything that you're doing at any given moment in your day and everything that you're feeling and believing and as you go about your business, that you are doing exactly what God has purposed for you to do. I know that sounds like a start to like an infomercial or uh, a sales pitch or something, but who doesn't want something like that? Who doesn't want that knowing that you are growing in your life with this ever-present love and joy and purposefulness in your life, that what you are doing is what God has called you to do? If you want to mature, if you want to uh, mature in wisdom and hope and faith, then really what you're really longing for is to be sanctified. We shouldn't be scared by this word or confused by this word. It's a biblical word, to be sanctified. Our sanctification is the process of our, of our growing more and more into the image of Jesus. To be sanctified is have your faith firmly deepened and rooted in every area of our life to increasingly turn from a life of sin and, and turn to faith in Jesus as God is, is making you through His Holy Spirit more and more like His Son. It's this process of sanctification. To be sanctified is become, become a wiser human being. To learn how to deal with our money and sexuality and our work and every area of our life a way, in a way that, that is a manifestation of God's character and desire for us. It means we're becoming a better family member and a better friend. It means that we're becoming a better church member and a neighbor. When you talk, you speak with greater love and truth. When you listen, you listen with empathy and understanding. When, when terrible things happen in your life or in the world, rather than becoming defeated and dejected from the storms of life, 
and becoming anxious, you're, you're learning how to bring the glory of God in that situation, trusting Him, bringing the reality of who He is into your needs and your struggles. So to be sanctified is to face our lives where we honestly face our sorrows, our disappointments, as well as our joys with the ever-present hope and truth of God, who He is, what He has done, and what He's doing in us. Who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want to bring that truth into every, every nook and cranny of their heart and their thinking and their, their attitudes, their hopes, their fears, their, their joys and celebrations? Do you want that? Do you want that in your life? Do you want to grow? Well, then what you want is to be sanctified. You want to grow in your sanctification. So we're teaching through this handful of core uh, Christian beliefs that were established or reestablished and reaffirmed within this period of the Reformation. Last week, we answered the question, how, do, how does a person become approved by God? How does a person uh, go from becoming a, a, being a sinner to being a, an innocent person before God, approved and, and finding his favor? Today, we answer the question, how do we overcome sin in our life? How do we overcome sin and grow in our life to become this person who is increasingly sanctified more and more, Re, uh, turning from our sin and turning to Jesus in faith as God makes us more like him. Just two things to look at today, is, and that is our motivation to overcome sin and the power to overcome sin. Let's look at these as we meditate on this passage, the motivation to overcome sin. What is our motivation? Galatians 2 and 3 that we read gives us critical insight into the motives for resisting and growing in righteousness. I mean, why would we even want to in the first place? What, what fuels us? What motivates us to do that? You may notice that this passage talks a lot about what we talked about last week, how a person finds approval with God, not by the works of the law, but by faith, by trusting in Jesus. But then this and we call that justification, how we're made right and innocent, declared innocent before God. It flows directly into then now how do we grow in God? How do we continue in this faith? How do we become more like Christ? How do we grow as a Christian? And so just a, a few seconds to recap on that question last week. How does a person find approval with God? We said it is a gift from God. It's not based on any merits of our own. It's a gift that's freely given to us. It's unconditional. God, God imparts his righteousness to us. God gives his righteousness to us. So he looks at us, and even though we are sinful, he looks at us as if we are not, as if we are righteous. Second, it's external. It doesn't come from within. We don't become the righteousness of God. We don't grow. We don't become approved by God by something deep inside of us that we just muster up the energy to find but rather it's, it's external, it's, it's an alien righteousness. It's given to us from the outside by the grace of God. And lastly, it's by faith alone. It's received as we trust in Jesus and rest in his work, completed work on the cross for us, for our salvation. Well, at the time of the Reformation, when these, when these truths and, and biblical expositions were being brought out by Martin Luther, as we talked about, and the other reformers, there was this, this Dutch uh, Catholic priest who said, you know those three things you talked about, that it's a gift, that it's external, that it's by faith alone? That's nuts. So this guy's name was Erasmus, and he hated all of these things. And he said, he said, anyone who believes that we are saved by faith alone are really after two things, money and women. If you think, see, they, I love the way they fought back then. You know, these theologians, these pastors, like, I love that they were just so, they were so honest. I feel like we're too soft today as we discuss theology. So 
Uh, here he says, to them, the gospel means this. The go I mean, and you've heard this today. I hear it all the time. Well, if you say that, that salvation is, is not on any work of your own, it's not because of anything that you have done, are doing, or will do in the future, God just loves you and you're saved, well, then you can just do whatever you want. Then you have this attitude that because you're forgiven by faith alone and no work of your own, then that gives you a license to just do whatever you want. All that you're interested in is money and women, right? The, just the reformers were the original, you know, drug, sex, and rock and roll group, right? No. <clears throat> they were, this is how they were viewed. They were just viewed as these deviants that just like, great, we're faith alone, we do whatever we want. I've heard similar things today regarding this biblical idea of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. If it's a gift and you can't earn it, then that makes people do whatever they want. And God desires a life of holiness and righteousness. What about obeying God's law? What about obeying God's commands? Isn't that still important? Absolutely. The Reformation not only brought this reaffirmation of a biblical idea of how we find favor with God, but it reaffirmed this biblical view of how we change, how we grow, and why we grow, why we come to obey the law. Now, as newly saved people of finding their approval in God, what is our motivation then for resisting sin and growing in righteousness? This is known as sanctification. And while Martin Luther might have been one of the main shapers of our understanding of justification by faith alone, a man named John Calvin might be considered as one of the main shapers of how we understand a biblical view of, of sanctification and growing in our faith. Likely learned a lot from Martin Luther. They never met. Uh, John Calvin might be considered as like a second generation reformer, just a, a, a few years after Martin Luther, but learning a lot from what Martin Luther had done. Here's a little bit about John Calvin. He was a French theologian in the midst of the Reformation. He fled the Catholic portion of France in the south and to head up to Strasbourg, which was uh, Catholic-free. And so he, he was being persecuted for his beliefs, and he, was able to, he wanted to go there so he can preach freely and not be condemned. And on his way there, he stopped in this border town called Geneva, Geneva, Switzerland. And it was this one man... Uh, named uh, Will Farrell, not, not that Will Farrell, <coughs> a different Will Farrell. I believe he was called William Farrell, but I, I thought Will Farrell was a little bit better to talk about today. He was a pastor in Geneva, and he had this little church, and he was trying to grow his church, and he heard that this, that this superstar theologian, John Calvin, was in town. And so Will Farrell, I, I got to say William because you guys won't pay attention, William Farrell he goes and finds John Calvin and says, you got to stay. you got to help me with my church. And John Calvin says, I'm not a pastor. I am a scholar. He, had, he was 27. He had just written and published the Institutes of the Christian Religion, this huge book at 27 years old that describes everything that we need to know about the, the, the work of God and the life of a Christian and the life of the Christian in gratitude for God. I mean, at 27 years old, I mean, he's accomplished more at 27 than any of us uh, what have you done? If you, you know, what have you done? And he says, I'm not a pastor. I'm a scholar and a theologian. And William Farrell said, if you don't stay, I'll put a curse on your ministry so no fruit will come of all your studies. <laughs> 28 years later, John Calvin died in Geneva. 
He wouldn't leave. He left for, for, for a short stint of three years, but he came back and spent the next 25 years in Geneva where he, where he trained people in discipleship and knowing God and growing in their faith. God would call him to Geneva, and he would stay there. He would die there. And here is what John Calvin had to say regarding our sanctification. He says, It's by faith alone which justifies, and yet the faith which justifies is never alone. Or to put it in another sense, it is true that we are safe, saved by faith alone, but the saving faith is never alone. You see, if we truly are approved by God and rest in Christ and all of His abundant work for us on the cross, then we we will change, we will obey God, we will grow in righteousness. Our good work is always a result of our right standing with God, never the cause of it. And he uses the analogy of the sun. He says the earth is warmed by the heat of the sun, but the heat is never alone. The heat is always accompanied by light. And so like the sun having these qualities of heat and light, they are never alone, but we are warmed here on earth by the heat of the sun. And John Calvin says that's how God works. We are made right with God by faith alone, not by anything that we do, but now we have this new motivation, this new work. God has done a new thing in our lives. He's given us new desires, new cravings, new hopes, new ambitions. We have a new heart that desires the, to, to have affection for Christ and all that he has said. And so our motivation to obey God and to grow in righteousness now is new. It's different. So he saw that our justification, which answers the question, how are we made right with God, and our sanctification, which answers the question, how do we overcome sin in our life, are motivated by the same thing. They don't come from two different places. As some at the time, and even today, thought about it like this. God saves you. He saves you by faith. You get to heaven and are forgiven because of his work, but it's up to you to make sure you don't lose that. So he gets you into heaven, and now it's up to you to make sure you don't get kicked out. Make sense? Maybe you think like that. Maybe you believe that. Maybe you are trying to obey God's commands out of, out of fear that God will stop loving you if you don't. If so, then you believe that God may have saved you by faith, but it's up to you and your work to perfect that salvation. Many believe that we are saved by God's grace, but our sanctification is what we do to make God stay happy with us. Jesus gets us the Father's love, and we keep it. It's like we hear the Heavenly Father say, I brought you into this world, and I can take you out. Amen. <laughs> and that's not the truth. But many believe that. Many believe, okay, he, God has given this to me. He's been kind enough to present this salvation to me, and it's up to me to take it, to live by it, and if I don't, then God will take it away and give it to someone else. Consider why you want to change. Why do you want to grow? You know, we talk about this question. This question is, how do we overcome sin in our life? You may have had your heart, the ears of your heart, so to speak, perk up and say, I want to hear about this. I want to learn how to overcome sin in my life. Why? Why do you want to change? Why do you want to grow? If you can figure out the motivation behind that question, then I think you'll figure out what you actually believe about God's work in your life or lack of work in your life. Why do you want to obey God's law? Why do you want to obey His commands? Why do you want to be more like Jesus? Why do you have remorse for 
or guilt of your sin when you do recognize and acknowledge that you have just fallen in sin or maybe you're living in sin? Why does that bother you? Maybe it's out of fear. And so you see God's law as, as, as this, don't do this or else. Don't disobey God or else. And so you are just motivated in your life to do what God says because you don't want to get hurt and punished and you're afraid. Maybe you're motivated by reward. If you don't sin, good will come to you from God. And you can't afford to, to make God angry right now. You've got a big job interview coming up. You just had a child and you want to raise this child well. You've you got a big date this weekend. Not necessarily in that order, but sometimes. And so you're thinking, all these things are happening in my life. I have all these responsibilities. I can't afford to be on God's bad side. And so if I'm good, if I obey him, then God will be good to me. Maybe you're motivated by simply your future well-being. You are, by being good in your life, you're investing in the future. You're doing the hard work now so that later on you would reap the benefit of all this obedience and, and all this good will come to you. Don't sin and look at the life that you can have. Galatians 2 shows us an entirely different motivation. Verse 19, for through the law I died to sin, to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul is saying, now, the Apostle Paul who's writing this passage, now that I am a Christian and have been saved by the gospel, which is that Jesus loved me and gave himself for me. Paul, this scholar, this world-known scholar, no one is smarter than Paul as it relates to knowing his Bible. And look how he describes what the gospel is. Jesus loves me and gave himself for me. It's not very profound. It's not very scholastic. You could tell that to a child and they can understand it. And this is Paul like getting down to in the most concise way, what is the beauty of all that God has given to us? He loves me and he gave himself for me. And he says, because I'm a Christian, because that has happened, I'm still, obey, I'm still commanded to obey the law, but now I do it for different reasons. Now I don't do it because I'm motivated by fear or reward or self-centered reasons, but now the fact that Jesus loves me and gave himself for me in spite of my failures, he's given me profoundly new motives, new desires, new affections to obey him. Before I desired maybe to be good, but my reasons for doing it were bad. They were selfish and self-centered. And let's hear this, and the reformers would clarify this so well to their accusers who said, you don't care about doing good, you just want to uh, get out of hell free card. And they said, no, the Christian's commanded to grow in righteousness. The Christian's commanded to obey the moral law of God. But Christians grow in righteousness not only as an effect of, as an, but only as an effect of their right standing with God, never as a cause for it. Our motivation then to obey God and our desire to overcome sin in our lives comes from, from new motives, new desires, new loves, new affections for God and what he says that he's given to us. So where do we get this motivation? Where do we get this new affection, this new desire? I'll, I'll show you. Where do we get it from in this passage? I'll tell you this. I, I have always been very good at math and very poor at English and 
reading comprehension. It's just a known fact, okay? And you know what helped me grow in grammar? Understanding biblical theology. Okay, don't, don't leave just yet. I'm gonna, I'll explain it. Uh, you look confused. Let me explain. Verbs. Okay, yeah, I'm going there. Verbs are action words. Okay. Verbs are actions, and verbs come in different moods. The indicative mood, which states facts. The imperative mood, which is a command. And then subjective mood, the subjunctive mood. The, the Greek language has four moods, but that doesn't matter. I just wanted you to know that I know what I'm talking about. <coughs> why, am I, why am I saying all this? I'm going to get to the point. Why am I saying all this? It's so important. Wherever you see in the Bible God's command, God's suggestion, God's telling of us to grow in righteousness, to be like Him, to obey His commands, to not do this and to do this, you will always find factual commands, right? These are, these, you'll always find factual things about God. Wherever He tells you an imperative, He's always going to tell you an indicative. So we look at the scriptures and we look at an imperative and then we move away and say, okay, God told me to do this, now I have to go do it. And he says, no, look again. Wherever you see a command, you are going to see a something, a, some kind of fact about who God is, what he has done in your life, and who he has made you to be because of his work, not yours. This is the mood. He's telling us his mood in, his, in our salvation, in our sanctification. Our obedience doesn't stand alone. Our obedience is an effect of what God has done in our life, never the cause of God's love for us. Paul says, I'm motivated to do this. I'm motivated to live my life for God, to do what he says, because Jesus, because Jesus gave himself for me and loves me. That's the indicative. Paul is saying the only motivation I have to do anything that God has asked me to do is because Jesus has given me himself. He's changed me. He's given me new life. He's given me new motivations. He's raised me from the dead. Where we, we are called to live for God. You're, if you're saved, you're saved by faith. You're saved by God's grace through faith alone. You are still called to live for God. You are still called to grow in righteousness. You're still called to live by faith. You are still called to obey God's commands. Before, you would do this because you were afraid or for reward or for selfish reasons. But now, now we do it because Jesus loves us and gave himself for us. This is the great heart of the gospel. It is so important to not miss this that Paul says on a couple occasions in our passage, he says, what is wrong with you guys? <laughs> what is wrong with you guys that you don't get this most basic and essential belief about who we are in Christ, and how we grow in our faith, how we grow in righteousness. He says, oh foolish Galatians. Oh foolish, he calls them fools twice. Do you ever say something like that to someone? Maybe your like little children or your friend when you say, what is wrong with you? you know, you've so you've never said that, but you've heard people say it. <laughs> That's what Paul is saying. Paul is looking, he's writing to them, and he is saying, what is wrong with you guys? What is wrong with you? He is saying that because he's saying it is so clear. It is so clear how we grow. It is so clear how we gain approval. It is so clear how we grow in righteousness. Why are you missing it? He says, do you seriously think that you can be saved by faith to be forgiven 
But then faith in yourself, you can now grow and obey all that God has told you to do. That there's something about like your character and getting enough strength and what you can bring to the table that will allow you to overcome sin in your life. Paul says, what is wrong with you? He says, who tricked you? Who put a spell on you? Who bewitched you? He says, obviously someone had to put you in a trance for you to think that you could be saved by God's grace, but then you can grow by your merit. He says, that's stupid. His words, not mine. Calls them foolish twice. And he says, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? In verse 3, the gospel. What is the gospel? What is the good news? The reality that Jesus loves you and died for you, and you believe that, and you rest in that. If that has truly happened, then your reasons for obeying God will drastically change. The gospel is not just for sinners getting into heaven. The gospel is for Christians and their growth. And then you'll see that the gospel is not just something that non-Christians get, and need to be forgiven. It's something that you and I need if you're a Christian. The very thing that we need to overcome sin and grow in our life is the indwelling Holy Spirit working out the purposes of God in us as we continually look to Christ in faith for all that he has done for us. The gift of God's grace to change our standing with God from guilty to innocent will always, always result in this inner change of our heart as well. It'll always result in this change that, that, that grows in affection for God. And so we, we understand when, when John says that we, uh, we obey, we know we love God when we obey his commands and his commands are not burdensome to us. He's saying we, we want to. We want to. We have this affection to know God, to love him, to walk in his ways. We want to grow in righteousness now, not because we want to earn his favor, but because we have earned his favor. And now we cannot help but to follow him and to love him. But the motivation is not enough, is it? You can't just want it. You can't just desire it. There needs to be some fuel that accomplishes this change in us. And that's our second and final point. We need the power to overcome sin. What is the power to overcome sin? It is the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is never an it. It is always, or sorry, He is always a He. The Holy Spirit is always a person, not a force of nature. It's not a thing. It's a person. It's not a force, it, but it is God. Think about this. It is God in transferable form. He is God in transferable form. The Holy Spirit living in you, living in me. In every true Christian, the Holy Spirit lives in every true Christian, empowering us, changing us from one degree of grace to the next, one degree of the image of Christ to the next. When you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit. When you believe in Him, the Holy Spirit is given to you once and forever as a guarantee of God's future glory for you and full sanctification in your life. A future, it's a guarantee of the favor that is yet to come and a, prom, and, the, and, and a guarantee of the promise that He will accomplish in us, which is that if He justifies us, He will sanctify us. And if He sanctifies us, He will glorify us. That He will begin the work that he will complete the work that he has begun. The Holy Spirit is a guarantee that God will not give up on you. He will not give up on me. 
he will complete the work. And when he returns, he says his bride, his church, will be spotless and blemish-free in every area. Don't you want that? It is by the power of the Spirit that is working in us. If you rely on the power of God to change you from, from guilty to innocent when it comes to your salvation, yet you rely on your character and your personal endurance to grow in righteousness, the Bible says, that's stupid. It's not going to work. If you're a Christian, you are w- walking around with someone inside of you that is more powerful than your desire to sin. The power of God to change you from the inside out. You're walking around with the Holy Spirit, empowering you and fueling your growth all the time. The same power that resurrected the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead lives in every believer. So the idea of gritting our teeth and digging deep and becoming better is just ridiculous. Do you see how small in comparison that is to the power of God that can change us? If you're a Christian, you're walking around with this all the time. How do you, over, how do you overcome sin? Well, the book of Galatians tells us. It, the rest of the book of Galatians is actually all about this. I commend it to you. And the rest of the book is all about walking in the Spirit applying the work of Christ in us through faith as the Spirit changes us from one degree of of righteousness to the next. We walk in the Spirit. Paul lays out what it looks like to walk in the Spirit in this book, and you should read it for yourself, but I'll summarize it in this practice very simply. Here is how Paul summarizes it. We delight in our justification, which comes by God's grace. How do we walk in the Spirit? We continually and increasingly delight in our justification which comes by God's grace. We continually turn and look at what God has done for us. We continually are reminded of the grace and forgiveness we have received. We continually acknowledge our sin and dependence on Him, rejecting our self-reliance and trusting in Him. You know, here in this series, we remember the five, you know, we remember 500 years ago in the Reformation on the anniversary of the Reformation. It gives us a good occasion to talk about doctrines like this that were really reaffirmed during that time. But let's be serious. We don't need an anniversary of the Reformation to be reminded of this truth, right? Every day, you and I will meet people who are trying to prove themselves. Every day, you and I And most of the time, that person is in the mirror, right? Every day, we look at people and see people trying to prove themselves to God or to others. They try to prove themselves to God, working at their good works in hopes to earn God's favor, hoping to avoid God's displeasure. Many are trying to prove themselves to others, hoping to find their identity and their accomplishments at work or in their family or in their community or in relationships. Trying to prove yourself is just another way of justifying yourself. And if you're trying to prove yourselves, you'll never rest because you will never be able to justify yourself. So you'll always be working, and we see it all the time. We see people trying to work all the time. And Paul did not come to the Galatians with this letter, with this list of of ways to prove themselves to God, but he came to them telling them a very simple yet, yet 
profound story. And the story goes something like this. I, Paul, according to my works, am way better than any of you. That's how he starts out. And he says, and at my, I am the best. There is no one better at the law, I assure you, than me. But that didn't account for anything towards my salvation. In fact, the more awesome I thought I was, the more I hated Jesus and anyone who followed him. And when I hated him the most, when I hated God the most and ran from him the fastest, it was then that Jesus loved me and gave himself for me. He died for my sins, not because of anything that I did to deserve it, but because of his grace and this beauty, this reckless mercy and love that he showed for me, it changed me. It knocked me off of my horse and raised me from the grave and gave me new motives and a new heart and made me a new creation. And it changed my affections for God. It made me stop wanting to complete myself by my work, but to rest in Jesus' completed work for me. That's the story. So he doesn't come saying, you guys do all of these things to grow in righteousness. He tells them a story of the good news. And then he says, how could you do anything but grow in righteousness? How could you do anything but walk with God with the full pleasure that he has given to you, with delight and joy and increasing measure of passion to know him? You know, you, you may believe that Jesus died on the cross for you. You may believe the doctrine, you may believe the truth, but has it ever been beautiful to you to the point where you could do nothing but walk in his ways that he has instructed you to walk in? So beautiful. Has it ever been so beautiful where you said, I don't care what happens anywhere else. I don't care what you bring to me. And you almost feel yourself scared to even say it. But you know, if you truly trust in Jesus, you have had those experiences in your life where you feel invincible, right? Where you say, God, I don't, no matter what happens to me, if I have you, I've got everything. And you think to yourself, man, I don't even, I'm, I'm even afraid even saying that because I don't know, I don't, I don't want him to bring hard things into my life. But you know in your heart that the world could fall away and everything in it, and you would still have the pleasure of God and the joy on your face. It's not enough to merely subscribe to certain beliefs. Has he changed you? Have you rested in his work, Jesus' work on the cross for you so much that your affections are new and different? To where sin's appeal is so less, so much less than it was before. And it's not that you're perfect. It's not that sin has lost its temptation because you and I are not fully sanctified, not in this life. And yet we are growing in our affection. We are learning to overcome sin, learning to trust in faith, to yield our hearts and our minds and our affections to God and letting him do his work in us through the Holy Spirit. Have you begun to love Jesus, not merely believe in him? Have you begun to stop working and start resting in what he has done for you? Commenting on this verse, uh, author and, 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 and writer Paul Tripp says, we are always assessing what we bring to the table to deal with what is currently on our plates. It's so true. Whenever something happens in our life, whenever we acknowledge our sin, whenever we experience sorrow or difficulty, 
we start looking at our bag of tricks within our heart, within our gifts, within our nature and character, and we say, okay, I got this. What can I do? What can I find that will help me manage this and get out of this? But it is Jesus Christ who lives in us. Our ability to overcome sin and grow, to become more like Jesus, is not restricted to our imperfect collection of spiritual resources. God has given us himself. He is the grace that he gives. Jesus himself is the grace that he gives, the presence of God, the transferable God. The person of the Holy Spirit is the grace that he gives to us. Are you enjoying God's grace for you? Are you enjoying him? If you are, you'll see growth. If you're enjoying God and knowing that he loves you and actually enjoying his love for you, you're going to grow, I promise. You will see the fruit of true rest. You'll see the fruit of his peace. It's not what you do that enables you to overcome sin. It's resting in what has been done for you that enables you to overcome sin. Final analogy. I was recently talking with my son, Cohen, and we were driving together. And I said, Cohen, I want to teach you a new word. And he says, a new word? Right? He's in school, he's learning lots of new words, and he is just loving it. And I said, Cohen, I want to teach you a new word. And he says, great, what is it? And I said, the word is repentance. <laughs> repentance? Say it with me, Cohen, repentance. He says, repentance. I said, do you know what that means? Do you know what that means? He says, I don't know what that means. I said, let me tell you what this new word, repentance, means. Repentance is when you turn from your sin and the things that you do that you shouldn't do, and you turn to Jesus, trusting in all of his love for you, and you rest in him, and you enjoy him. And you know what Cohen said? He said, that's an awesome word. <laughs> when you hear the word repentance, likely it's not awesome. Likely you hear the word and you're like, I really should get my act together. And what the reformers did was they were able to restore the beauty of turning from sin and to Jesus in faith. To where it was no longer a burdensome word, a bad word, a laborious word. It wasn't this word that had like this wet, cold blanket that just weighed us down. It was a word that, that gave us life. Then when we said, that's awesome, teach me more about it. How do I turn from my sin and trust in Jesus? That's an awesome word. It is an awesome word. Repentance is a beautiful thing. It is a, it is a hope-filled word that reminds us that God, by his power, is transforming us into the image of Jesus from one degree to the next. And like our right standing with God, our growing in holiness and sanctification does not stem from us. It is a gift from God worked out in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. It is the instrument of that change and growth is our faith in what God has done for us. This is the comfort of the gospel that you will not be able to obey God rightly until you take comfort in Him and what He has done. You'll never truly grow. You'll never truly grow until you repent of your motivations to please God out of your self-centeredness. You'll never be able to grow until you repent of your constant need to complete God's salvation in you by your good work. You'll never truly go 
grow until you truly, and you'll never truly make progress in your spiritual walk, overcoming sin and being more like Jesus, until you turn away from your pattern of trying to be better for God on your own and until you begin resting in all that he has done for you. You know how to, over, you know how to overcome sin? You know how you make progress in the Christian life? It's the same way you became a Christian. You rest in him. You trust in him and what he has done for you on your behalf. And you give your life to him and in every way. You take hold of him and you love him. Let's pray. We're bad at this. Our Heavenly Father, we're bad at this. We may not say it in words, but we believe in our heart that you got us into heaven and by our work we keep your favor and we keep your approval and we keep your love. We too often dig deep into our hearts and we neglect to rest in you and, your, and, and our justification by faith alone when it comes to resisting sin and its temptation, when it comes to repenting of sin, we manage our sin rather than fleeing from it and turning to you. In this meal that we are about to take in your supper, let us be reminded that it is not by our work that we grow in righteousness, but it is by faith that we are saved and it is by faith that we grow and are sanctified. Faith not in our ability, but faith in yours. Thank you for being with us, O oh God. Thank you for being with us in the person of the Holy Spirit. It is greater, that, greater is he that is in us than he who is in the world. And so we rest in you. Be with us in this meal. In Jesus' name, amen.